Welcome to episode two of season three of Saltgrass, Turning the Goldfields Green. This episode is all about e-bikes. I was all set to talk to Sue Tompkinson at the start of the year. She was running e-bike education classes through Community House and guiding trial e-bike rides with a group called CycleSafe Mount Alexander. I was planning to have a go on an e-bike myself and chat to the students in her course about their thoughts after trying one. However, COVID-19 came along and all courses were cancelled and we optimistically agreed to try for an interview once we were all able to sit face to face once more. However, six months later and that day is yet to come. We are back in social distancing and lockdown here in Victoria. So I called her up and we had a chat over the phone instead of in person. But before we get to the interview, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode is created on Jarajara country, home of the Jajarung and acknowledge their elders past, present, and emerging. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. So Sue, I heard about you through several different avenues at the same time, actually. You were going to run a couple of courses at Community House to encourage people to try and and have a look at and think about buying an e-bike. And you were also working with Penny, who I know through Plastic Bag Free Castlemaine, she had got some money to also do some e-bike longer rides that would really let people test out the the stride of the bike and try out different levels of bikes. Can you tell us a little bit about what what you've done in terms of uh, sharing your love of e-bikes through classes and things like that? What I believe is that a lot of people don't look at an e-bike as being a it's the same as a bike with a motor, but it actually isn't. It allows you to do a whole range of other things which you wouldn't normally do on a bike. Um, well, people my age anyway. And so I thought when I actually went out and bought one, I found it very, very difficult to get some information about what to look for and, and the differences between normal bikes and e-bikes. So I researched it in, in from beginning to end, mostly online, but I also went and visited a few shops and I found it quite frustrating. So I thought once I'd actually purchased mine and I had all this information, I should share it. Yeah. So I, I started with U3A actually. I ran two, I think two workshops with U3A on how to buy an e-bike and another one on e-bike touring. And then I caught up with um, Community House uh, to spread it a bit wider amongst a different... Demographic. Cohort. Demographic, that's the word. And uh, so I did that with them. And I ran one very successfully. And the second one, unfortunately, had to be cancelled. Because of COVID. Because of COVID, (laughs) yes. Yes. So that was the first step into this. And then I met Penny... At the workshop, she came to see me and we started with a couple of rides before COVID came along and they were great. We had a a good time and went on a couple of sort of 20k rides around the district here that I had done before. Was that just the two of you then? No, no. There was um, the first one we had three people, I think, and the next one we had about eight. So... Great. Um, and I, I've since actually running these workshops, and I don't think it's uh, anything to do with me at all, but if you now look around outside and every time I look, I see another e-bike. I saw two this morning yeah. uh, when I was out walking. They're everywhere now, which is great. Yeah. Because Castlemaine is right for it because it's hilly. It is hilly. I know. I actually, I used to be a keen rider in Melbourne and I'd ride to and from work from an outer suburb into the city and back again and you know I loved it but coming out here I live on top of quite a steep hill and I just stopped riding that's exactly right the summers were too hot and the winters were too cold and it just was all a bit it just was enough to stop me from riding Yes, yes. What took you to e-bikes in the first place? What made you consider them? I've got older. I used to ride a um, a normal bike and I did that up until I hit here in Castlemaine and I had it here. I rode it, tried to ride it a few times and realised it just was too hard. 
So I put it away and started to look at alternatives. And my partner who lives in Tasmania had been looking at them as well and he bought one. So when I was over there at one stage, I had a ride on it and I thought confirmed the the purchase for me. So I went out then and researched buying one. So that trial ride really um, was important for you to oh, understand. Oh, very, mm. very important, yeah, because I could see that it would be something I could really enjoy doing. It It has changed the muscles in my legs believe it or not I used to have dreadful knees and riding a normal bike is very hard on your knees so this one has actually allowed me to strengthen other parts and it's been fabulous for me yes so what do you see as the like if you were telling someone about the difference between a push bike and an e-bike what do you see as the main difference the, the, well, it, I think really it's probably as much to do with your own physical capabilities. It's different in terms of, it's hard to explain actually, until you've ridden one, it's hard to determine. I have a friend who actually rides an electric bike and he sets it on auto and to me that isn't actually riding a bike. I want to ride a bike, but I want to ride it more often than I would if I had a normal one. So. The difference for me is the capacity to do that and still be physically active. So that it, it allows you to go up hills that you'd normally find too hard. I wouldn't do them. I'd yeah. find a way around them, which is... But I love them now because I love the up and downs of Castlemaine. It's wonderful. So as an older person and, and your first sort of branching out into teaching people was with the U3A, which is it's an organisation that does short courses and things for retirees. What do you see as the benefit of this in terms of physical fitness and all of that sort of thing as you get older? Well, people stop riding a bike, riding bikes when they get older. There's issues with balance, there's issues with energy levels, there's issues with strength, there's all sorts of issues like that. And so people tend to get in the car rather than walk or ride. And I just think it's a, a great demographic to actually provide outdoor activity in a very mild but also physical sense. So it keeps the blood moving but it doesn't overexert you? Oh, absolutely. No, no. And it doesn't put pressure on anything, which is where, where it was coming from with me. My knees were really bad and now they're fantastic. What do you come across with people who come to your class? What are some of their misconceptions about e-bikes or some of the things they're worried about? Well, I think a lot of people come with the misconception that it's cheating that you're actually not really riding a bike. I don't agree with that at all. You can treat it like that if you wish, which is what uh, one of my friends does and, and also other people I know who stick the motor on and don't give a hoot about, you know, anything else. And a lot of people are concerned about the cost and also about what to look for in a good e-bike, which is really hard. It's a minefield because they're all very different and all have different motoring systems, all have different places where the motors are. Some are on the front hub, some are on the back, some are in the middle. Batteries are all in different locations. And, and the, the value of knowing what's going to suit you and what's the best for you is what I teach, I guess. And do you have any hot tips you could share with us in terms of why one particular formation of an e-bike might work for some people better than others? Well, the most expensive version is having a mid-range motor, which is uh, which is right in the middle of the bike. It gives better balance. It's easier in terms of taking wheels on and off because you don't have motors attached into the hub of the back or the front wheel. Batteries need to be not too big that you can't put them in a backpack. That's probably something that a lot of people don't think about. So you actually detach the batteries when you lock up your bike and go into a cafe or whatever? I do. Well, no, that's not quite true. I do when I'm overseas. We had an incident overseas where we nearly lost both bikes. And it, and since then, we've, we take the batteries off, put them in the backpack. It's then not worth very much to people. The battery is worth about $1,500. And so if you remove that and the computer, you've taken away 50% of the bike. But I, I don't do that here. I just lock it up here. Um, but yes, and, and if you're like us and you have old interchangeable batteries, you, if you travel like we do, you need to take your batteries into your hotel often. It's up four levels, <laughs> four flights of stairs. 
And so you you want to be able to stick it in your backpack rather than have to lug it up. Take the whole bike. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> you said that was one of the more expensive ways of doing it. And I, I have seen battery packs on the, the rack at the back, over the back wheel. Yes. Does that prevent you from having things like panniers and other carrying no, no, things? No, no, you can put anything you like on. It's positioned in a place where it has no effect on anything. It just makes the back of the bike very heavy. And so when you're lifting or when you're um, moving it around in any way, that back part is really heavy. A lot of um, the cheaper bikes have what they call a hub motor on the back and a rear battery like that. And if you try and lift the back of it, it's it's just incredible because everything is on the back. And it changes the balance in your, in your drop riding as well. The mid-range with the battery in the middle and the bike in, and the motor in the middle is by far the best but it is the most expensive. So if you just want something to run around in, if you don't do what I do and spend hours and hours on on a bike touring, then one of those would probably be okay. Yeah. You know, you have to make that decision yourself about what it is you want. Yeah, and so I guess a lot of these new e-bikes are very sleek and everything's built into the bike, whereas you can also just retrofit a regular push bike and add that back battery pack to the back, can't you? Yes, you can. Yes. And it's a cheaper way of doing it. But it's only a cheaper way of doing it if you know what you're doing. Um, if you actually have to get somebody to retrofit your own bike and you pay somebody, it's about the same price as an e-bike. If you can do it yourself, that's a great way of getting yourself motorised. And so as a sustainability-focused show, I, I was interested in the, the idea that you said that, you know, as you get older and even like myself as an example, <laughs> um, if I had an e-bike, I, I really would not be in the car as much because I love riding but I do find that the hills and everything and and the weather can be a bit much whereas if it's really really hot I would still take my bike out if I knew I wouldn't have to puff up some major hills. Yes yeah well there there was a really good survey done by Oregon University in America uh, precisely about that. The analysis of what came out of that was that people ride more often if they have an e-bike than they do if they didn't because you go, you have a look around here in Castlemaine you'll find everybody has a bike in their shed but they're not using them yeah absolutely but what you're seeing out on the road are the e-bikes and and that's why I'm seeing them now here in Castlemaine not just that I'm looking for them <laughs> which I do anyway but but I think everybody who's got an e-bike has also got a real one in the backyard yeah and their shed and they're not using it so to me here in Castlemaine, that part of it is really important. I'd love to see everybody on one sustainably. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I guess also when I think about what I nip into town for, it's just often for a bag or two of grocery shopping. And if I had an e-bike, I would feel much more comfortable getting heavy items from the shops and being able to ride up those hills. Ride up those hills. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny though. I find I don't, and and this goes against all sustainability issues, but I find I actually don't ride it for service anymore. I actually ride it for recreation. Mm. And and for me, riding my bike three kilometres does nothing for me. I just, and that might be because it's an electric bike. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. Mm. But for me, I... um, I don't use it for that. So to feel that joy that you love to get out of riding, it doesn't happen when you're doing a short ride? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Not for me. It doesn't for me. But it is interesting. I spoke with somebody who'd bought an e-bike and I think they were on one of the rides, the second ride, and I said to them, so why did you buy one? What was your reason for buying it? And they said, well, we thought we'd use it to, you know, do the shopping and do all of that. And I said, and how do you feel about it now? And she said, we're finding we're changing the way we ride. And I said, are you using it more for recreation than you would for the other? And she said, yes. And I think for her, the same thing will occur. She'll take the joy in riding and do it further rather than just the little short distance ones, which goes against that sustainability stuff. But I don't know how you'd change that. There'd be people like you who would still, we would do that and would continue to do that, I guess. 
I think if it keeps people busy and keeps people on their bikes, because for recreation, for example, someone might drive out to the res out here in Castlemaine, which is a beautiful water body, and have a walk around the res. But if they enjoy their bike and they do it recreationally, then they might ride to the res instead. Absolutely. So I think it still would help with the carbon problem. I'm sure it would. Yes, I'm sure it would. Yes. Do people have worries especially with those longer rides of how long the battery will last or anything like that? What's the what's the issue there? I, I guess most people don't understand how the battery works and, and the fact that uh, if you watch and monitor um, how you're using your battery, you'll start to learn that. And one of the reasons for the rides that Penny was doing or that we were doing was to actually help people through some of those things and to teach them as they go. And a couple of the people on one of the rides, the second ride, I think, were afraid to put their engine up. So they were struggling to start. They were struggling up hills and they just didn't know that if you just put it on for a second to get you up there, you can turn it back off again. You don't have to just ride at the same with the same motor and at its lowest. You don't have to be cautious with it. No, you don't. You don't. Um, most batteries will take you at least 40 k's, mm. but if you want to go further than that, you need better batteries and you need to know how to use it. Or have a, a second battery that you can sub in yes. and replace yes. the first one with. yes. Absolutely. I think when I've tried e-bikes, I have realised that it really is a very different way of riding and that I would really want to practice before I hit the streets because with a push bike, you're used to the amount of power that you put in is exactly how much oomph you get with the bike. But with the e-bike, it's really disconcerting that the bike just keeps on going and and it's not parallel to how much energy you're putting in. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, you don't have to do that. And that's how you learn to use the bike for yourself, how, you, how to do it. And yes, you're right. The more you ride it, the better and you understand that. I mean, I ride it now to, as I think I said before, maximise the battery capacity and my own energy in terms of I want to get an exercise. So I don't uh, use the engine in the way a lot of people do when they first get on. They get on because it's got an engine and then they just don't think about anything else. But then there's other people who refuse to use it unless they really need it. Yeah, well, I guess it's all about finding the balance that works for you, isn't it? It is. Yet again. It is, yeah. yes. And learning that. I've had my bike now for four years. I'd even be a bit more than that now. And... I know it. I know exactly how to ride it. I know when to use the gears, when to use the engine, when to use my energy, all of those sorts of things. It's almost symbiotic. It becomes like driving a car, I guess, similar style. But you need to do it for a long period of time. Going down to the shops and back again, you don't learn that. You need to actually get on it and ride for a distance and explore it which is what the rides that Penny and I were doing was all about. That was Sue Tompkinson talking about e-bikes. Now I have a couple of lovely locals who have been riding e-bikes around town. Lucy has only just gotten hers and Ewan has had his for over eight years. So Lucy, you've recently purchased an e-bike. Can you tell us a bit about your bike? Well, my bike's yellow (laughs) and it goes fast without me having to do too much work. And it's a cargo bike, so it can carry all the stuff that I want to carry. Um, For example, I can go to the Castlemaine Farmer's Market and pick up my nine litres of milk um, (laughs) in in suitably padded bags. I can also take passengers on the back. So it can carry up to 200 kilos on the back plus me riding it. Wow. Yeah, and why it was important to me to have a cargo bike was that I found that I came up with so many reasons to drive my car down the street. I live about three and a half kilometres from the middle of town and all it would take would be for me to go, I'm a bit tired and I need to pick something up. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be hard to put on my bike 
I think I'll just take the car. Yeah, I know that story really well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was important for me to have something that was going to be able to um, interrupt that story and to be a feasible replacement. So with my wonderful Uber cargo bike that has a battery on it, um, I'm able to take my son downtown or my partner. My partner and I went to the movies down at Theatre Royal in those two weeks where movies where it was open. <laughs> <laughs> we rode down there and back up and down the hilly Hargrave Street, two people on the bike and I can still pedal, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely feasible. And do you think sometimes, especially with the hills of Castlemaine, I – it's not just the effort of riding the bike, it's the time of it where I'm like, oh, all those hills, I'm going to be so slow going up those hills, it's going to take so much longer, I'll just jump in the car. And and I think with an e-bike you can just z- sort of zip up those hills <laughs> if you need to or take it more leisurely if you'd rather, you know. Is yeah. that a factor for you, the, the, the slight convenience of time? Yeah, to me it's more about the effort actually. Unless I'm travelling, you know, out to... Guildford or something, which I haven't actually cracked yet because it's not a great time of year because it's cold and windy. Just for people who don't know, Guildford's like a 10-minute drive, so maybe 20 kilometres, is that about right? Roughly, yeah, and it's good. there's going to be a significant time difference, right? But in and out of town with the speed limits and so on, there's not there's not a huge amount of time difference. So to me, it's about actually the commitment and then... Like I'm quite, a, I'm quite able to factor in the time in my car. Okay, it's going to take me five minutes to get into town. I'm quite capable then of going, okay, it's going to take me 10 minutes on my bike. You know, it's really a commitment and planning thing in my, yeah, in my understanding and, and energy. Like I think on my standard bike, which I bought in 1978 and I love to death, I would other things are like, oh, how tired am I going to be? How sweaty am I going to be when I turn up at that meeting? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 which bits are going to hurt? And it's all they're all an excuse. But the beauty of the e-bike for me is that it's easy. It's the easy bike, right? <laughs> it's the E stands for easy. <laughs> That's right. And anything that makes that transition to a carless future um, just a little bit more comfortable and easy is is a good way to go in my book at the moment. Absolutely. And so I think you answered it earlier, but you have followed through, like you actually have been in the car less since you've had the e-bike? Definitely, yeah. I'm still a bit of a wuss in the rain, but, yeah, I've definitely, I reckon, um, more than halved my uh, local trips I have been working out at Harcourt through the winter. It's just finished, but I haven't actually cracked that ride out there, mostly because it's usually, um, it has been consistently around zero degrees at the time. Because oh, you go out early in the morning. Yeah. And, ah, oh, yeah. The, I mean, you can, you can factor in the, uh, the wind chill a certain amount, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do give myself a little bit of comfort. I don't want to make it too painful. Certainly not. Or you just wouldn't get out of bed or you'd stop going to do that job, which you love doing. Yeah, that's right. The one more thing about it is, you know, I was really concerned that because, of course, one of the reasons we ride bikes is about physical fitness, right? Mm, yep. And so I consistently ask people about this. Does that mean that I'm not going to be as fit because I do partially ride my bike for fitness. It's not all about lowering my carbon footprint. But I I just consistently, over the years that I was thinking about this decision, I got told, well, um, you end up on your bike more, therefore... It's about. It probably is about the same because you're not going to get fit with your bike sitting in the shed, right? So That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So maybe I need to push a bit less um, on the hills. Or well, significantly less, but at least I am um, rotating my legs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, mm. for the listeners' education, what type of bike have you got? I've got a Uber cargo bike, a Mundo Uber. Um, 
I guess there is one more thing to say about it, mm. and that is that um, they're expensive. Yeah. There's plenty of cars that are cheaper to purchase. I'm really uh, suspecting that the running costs are going to be a hell of a lot less. <laughs> yes. But it is the cost of a, you know, like at um, at five thousand dollars, cheap secondhand yeah, car, not even cheap, right? Yeah. You can buy plenty of cars yeah. for under five thousand dollars. But I don't need yeah, to register true. my bike. Yeah, you don't need to put petrol in it. No, you don't need to go to the mechanic. You don't need to replace parts. So yeah, there are definitely. I feel very privileged to have my bike. Um, it is on my mortgage, but I do understand that. Um, I think. It's either Molden or Bendigo Banks are uh, willing to come to the party in terms of loans for e-bikes. So that might be something to explore. Yeah, great. All right, thanks. The electric bike that I got was through a community bulk buying group similar to like what the mash do for solar panels this group were doing solar panels and they only did one batch i think of e-bikes but it was a great deal it was like it was two and a half thousand dollar bike so not a fat not a flash one but through the bulk buying group it was 1600 bucks and i could pay it off in two weekly installments over a year. I'm like, yes. Oh, that's brilliant. So I pre- I guess it was a free bike, but it's sort of, you know, when you're chipping away a big, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's how I got my solar panels. Right. And I was like, I could not have got them otherwise. Yep. It just wasn't feasible for me at that point in time. <laughs> yep, totally get it. So, yeah. So that's how I got, did that. That's how I got the bike. Yeah, cool. And so when was that? How long ago was that? Eight years ago. I know that because my son was just about to be born. Yeah, right. So. That's how I know, how I can track the passing of time. <laughs> yeah. And and so have you seen, you've seen the technology change, but obviously your bike is still standing you in good stead. Yeah. What have you seen? Like I've spoken to Lucy and she's got a fancy new cargo bike, which can carry so many kilograms of, of weight and all of that sort of stuff. But what what's yours? What How does it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've seen it. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so um, I know Lucy's is really nice. I really like Lucy's bike. <laughs> um, but no, mine is a much sort of humbler bike. It's just a cruiser mm. kind of thing. I don't know, like it's a half step through frame, so it's kind of like gender fluid. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, which is nice, and I actually got it. You know, as a family sort of vehicle for my partner and I that we both share. Although I'm a lot keener to get on it, I think, than rear is. <laughs> yeah, so it's made by a company called Powerped, and they, I think, one of the few Australian companies that um, make e-bikes. I think most of the components are from China, but they at least assemble them here. And they, Powerped, um, aren't like a big famous brand, but they do all the posty bikes. They're the guys who do the posties. Yeah, right. So it's more of a utilitarian sort of, yeah. you know, it's, it's a workhorse. It'll go forever. Yeah, it goes forever. And I have done 10,000 kilometres on it, mostly just commuting around, picking up children, (laughs) picking up shopping, grabbing some beer from the shop, coming back again, (laughs) 10,000 Ks later. That's huge. Yeah, and I've got a little connector on it to put a trailer so I can shove a child or two in the back shopping. That's great. Whatever. Yeah. That's a really versatile. I can pick up like bales of hay and stuff in it, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah. So that makes it really good. I'm, and your, yeah. sorry, your bike can carry a trailer? Like I know that some bikes may not be. No, it's very strong frame. It weighs a ton. The thing is 25 kilos or something, the actual bike, including the battery and everything. But I mean, I think they make them like that so that they can handle the torque, like the acceleration because it, this thing flies. It's really fun to ride. So the welds are really heavy. Um, everything on it's heavy. But when you've got the electric assist, you don't feel that. It's like you've got the best gears in the world. And I barely notice the trailer behind me, especially if it's I'm on the flat and there's one kid in it. When If, if there's two kids in it, it gets a bit heavier. Have you ever had to replace the battery or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I replaced the battery at about 8,000 Ks or something like that, um, and it wasn't cheap. I actually kept the old one because I like to figure out how to 
refurbish it because apparently you can buy the individual cells like the little the little blue cylinders on ebay and then you can kind of rebuild your old batteries again but and then you'd have a spare then you'd have a spare and then you're kind of more sort of self-sufficient because i mean most of the tech in an e-bike is just bike tech so it's easy it's wheels and gears it's not actually the battery it's wheels gears you can do most of it yourself you know the only weird bits are the controller really and the battery even the actual electric motor is very straightforward electric motor technology there's nothing much fancy about it um my one goes in the wheel the, the motors in the front wheel in the hub not in the crank and that's what i've seen a lot a big shift over eight years or whatever is the a lot of the new ones i see the electric bit is in the crank where you pedal which is apparently more energy efficient, but... But also, yours does the job, so it's fine. Look, each to their own. Everyone has yeah. their own preferences. <laughs> I does the job, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's old, and um, but I love it. Yeah, and I, he's got a name too. I call him Pablo. <laughs> That's great. Pablo. <laughs> Pablo. Brilliant. Yeah. So with your 10,000 kilometres of riding, have you have you calculated what that saved you if you had driven instead or, or how many carbon miles you've saved? I don't even know Gosh, how you describe no. that. I have no idea how you do that um, <laughs> because, because I just wasn't really a, a driver anyway. Sure. Um, yeah. I kind of went... From push bike to e-bike. From push bike to e-bike. And I still have my regular pushy and I still ride that. Mm. <laughs> In fact, now you're getting into the detail. Yeah. When it gets really cold, I often ride my old bike, my regular. So push you have bike. to work harder, and you'll stay warmer. Uh huh. Because you get warmer. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but in summertime, like it's 35, 38 degrees, there's no way you're going to catch me on a regular push bike in Casamayne. That's like suicidal. Those hills on hot days are hard. They're full on. But yeah. however, an e-bike, you just like keep your crank turning over and the thing just pulls you along you get all the breeze none of the work beautiful yeah i mean i guess like there's those days there's definitely those days when it's a bit wet or you're really tired the kids kept you up all night you're sleep deprived you know there's some of those days where i reckon i would have jumped in the car more often if i hadn't the e-bike yet because you kind of go well I don't actually, it's pretty cruisy. I don't actually have to work that hard. It's a bit less of a barrier when you're, especially if you're exhausted from parenting. (laughs) Or from whatever it is that keeps you exhausted in life. We all seem to find something, don't we? (laughs) Don't we? Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to say about e-bikes or do you have stories to tell, adventures you've had? Oh, look, there's been, there's been some funny, there's been, I have had some adventures, it's true. I had some funny reactions, especially early on when there weren't very many of them around and I'd just be kind of in my daggy old jeans or whatever at the lights and the Lycra, the Lycra brigade crews <laughs> line up next to you and you just take off really fast and they, <laughs> they, they can't figure of, it out. They can't help themselves because they've got that sort of, they're, you know, they're training, they're racing. It's, they're like greyhounds. They can't help but race. That's right. Yeah. It's like, it's like their athletic instinct. You know, I don't want to be um, too <laughs> critical because I'm, I know they get a lot of joy and there's plenty of room on our roads for all sorts of bikes. Yes. But um, it is, they do look at you really funny. Sometimes you're just like fanging it basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In a very unathletic way, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool. Hey, look, guys, no sweat. <laughs> yeah, basically. And, yeah, look, the other thing, one thing I really like about e-bikes that it took me a while to figure out is because they're heavy and you've got really good acceleration, you, you often ride with more road presence and confidence than you would on a, a regular bike. Hmm. So I find if it's windy, you don't get buffeted around as much. Um, you just, I feel a bit more um, solid on the road. Yeah, cool. Yeah, depending on where you're riding and stuff, that actually can make a big difference because you sort of, you know, <laughs> cars, traffic. Yeah. Is, you've always got to be really defensive still and just, yeah. you know. You're still vulnerable, yeah. Super vulnerable. Yeah. But I think especially with the wind, uh, you don't get blown around and that I reckon makes a big difference for me. I guess the only thing I'm thinking of is if you if you live somewhere where you have to carry your bike up some steps, you maybe don't want an e-bike. No <laughs> They're way. that heavy. Yeah. 
Too heavy. Too heavy. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only downside I can see. Thinking that through carefully, oh, yeah. Like if you got it, if you can just put it under a carport or something like that, sure. But yeah, the, yeah, the heaviness is fine when you're carrying stuff. It makes no difference when you're moving. But yeah, I, I like I could. I can barely get it in the back of the car or the van or something if you needed to. It's like, God, it's really heavy. <laughs> yeah, and all, I'm kind of big and awkward. Yeah, sure. So putting it in the back of the ute or onto a trailer or something for a, a bush ride somewhere a bit further away is, is harder than with a regular push bike. Way harder, yeah. Especially if you've got, if though, if you try, if the ute tray sort of, you know, chest height or something like that. Like, yeah, that's a... It's a two-person um, job to get the bike up It's there. a two-person <laughs> job. That's exactly it, Ali. Yep, spot on. You, can, you pictured it. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, good to know, good to know. All right, well, thanks, Ewan. That's, that's some good tips about e-bikes. Hey, no worries. Um, I, yes, I could probably talk too much about e-bikes. I get a bit excited about them. Well, yeah. you know, what I got excited about was when you said you got it through a bulk buy. I think we should organise one of them for Castlemaine, a bulk buy yeah. of e-bikes. I think that'd be spot awesome. Spot on. Like in it, because it, it, all you got to do is <clears throat> actually, that's actually a lot of work to set them up. But um, <laughs> it, if you can just give that incentive and, you know, bulk buy it, or you have like a payment scheme, you know, like do it installments, then suddenly the thousands of dollars just sort of become successful. That was Ewan and Lucy, each talking about their own personal experiences with their e-bikes. But now back to Sue to find out a little bit more about her life and her adventures on two wheels. And she also talks to us about a website she's been setting up to help people make the most of bike trails around Victoria. So you said that you have done some long bike tours internationally. And obviously, if you've only had your e-bike for four years, you've done a lot of this by pedal power. Yes. Can you tell us a few of your adventures or where where you've been? Well... We've done two years so far. We had another one planned this year, which we couldn't do. Um, the first year we explored the northern part of Spain and Portugal. We came from, flew into Paris and rented some batteries, which was really lucky. I found somebody who would do that because you cannot take the batteries on the plane. So you could take your actual bike, but just not the batteries. Yeah. I resourced somewhere where the guy would rented them to us for six weeks. So we did that and then brought them back after the six weeks. And it was just awesome. It was just the best trip. It was hot and it was cold and it was wet sometimes. But we travelled something like 1,200 kilometres, I think. We went down from, we caught the train to the Spanish border and uh, rode across the north of Spain out further to the west along the west coast and down into Portugal and then rode back. We rode back to the border. So it was a return trip. We took occasionally a couple of trains where it was impossible to get distance. Um, but that's easy to do in Europe. You just stick your bike in the car in the, on the train. In Spain, it's any train is available pretty much. And then last year, we flew into Prague and rode across Czech Republic into Poland up as far as Warsaw, then rode back a different way to come back into Prague. Then that was fantastic, absolutely amazing. That year we purchased, at the end of our ride, we couldn't find anywhere in Prague that would rent us batteries, but there was a guy who said he would sell them to us and, and provided they were okay when we came back, he would buy them back. But the price he was prepared to offer us wasn't sufficient. So they're now in Germany with a friend of mine, hopefully sitting there waiting for us to come back because we figured it was worth keeping them, even if we only ever get one more ride out of the batteries. You know, it was worth doing. So next, last year we were supposed to fly into uh, Germany and we were going to come down through part of Germany, across through Poland and into Lithuania. But that's not happened. So a great way to explore. It is. And do you know if, if there are places that hire out e-bikes in Europe, across Europe? There are. There's a lot. But um, it's, it's almost the cost of a bike for six weeks to rent something so you if you've got one and you can do this i mean the reason we both bought this particular bike was because the battery system is a bosch and that's available all over the world 
and we did that deliberately because we knew we'd be able to. So yes, they are available and yes, we've looked at them to rent because sometimes you never know whether your bike's going to get there in one piece. We've had the box break open at one stage and thought we'd lost some parts, but we hadn't. And so there's all of that. But if you price a bike for six weeks, which is what we always do, five to six weeks, it is almost the price of the bike. So you might as well take your own or buy one and resell it. It's just, if you're going for two weeks, that's fine. But they also generally aren't top of the range bikes. They tend to be bikes that are easier for them to replace. <laughs> uh, yeah, more commuter bikes. That's exact cheaper bikes, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So you don't get the capacity that we need. And before you ventured into e bikes, had you you'd had a lifetime of riding a push bike and, and doing similar to it? I had. I had. I rode the Camino in two thousand three in Spain. On a normal bike when I was well, how old am I now? Seventy two this year, so that's uh, two thousand and three. I don't know what that is. Seven or eighteen years ago, when I was a lot fitter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I didn't. I tended. To, I had an accident and uh, broke my coccyx at one stage, so I couldn't actually ride a bike for a long time. Um, and uh, took to walking. So I, most of what I've been doing in the last 10 years has been tours the same, but walking them. Walking. Until I got my e-bike. Now I do it on the bike. Yeah. In terms of your projects since we've all been in isolation because of COVID, I hear that you've been developing some websites for bike riders. Yeah, bike riders and walkers, pretty much. I have walked thousands of kilometres in Europe and cycled thousands of kilometres in Europe and would love to share all of that understanding and, and assistance with people. And since COVID, I just decided it was time we looked at ways of putting, say, a Camino here into Victoria. So tell us a bit about the Camino Trail, because I know it's a very famous trail, but not everyone may understand what it's about. It's a long story, that one. There is one that they call the Camino, but there are hundreds of them. Right. I have walked at least 12 in Spain, and they come from every direction. They just all meet at the one place on the towards the west of Spain. The main Camino is now very, very busy, very, very populated. Mind you, it isn't at the moment because it's been closed. But it's very busy and it, not my style anymore. I, I don't want to be on the peak tourist track. And, it, and it's, it's a great thing to do for anybody who wants it, to try it. That one is the best one to do because there's a lot of infrastructure. But, you know, lots of accommodation, lots of places, water, and you don't really have to worry about anything. It's all signposted. You can just start walking from day one and keep going. And um, But it's become so busy that in many cases you have to pre-book accommodation, which is a little bit out of the principle of Caminos because the idea is that you walk as far as you want to walk for the day then you stop and you rest up and then you go again for the next day. But it's become so busy that you, if you don't book, you, in many cases you don't get accommodation. So. so the idea is that it's what, like a four or five day hike or is it longer than that? Oh, God, no. Oh, no, no. It goes, <laughs> the main one is 800 kilometres. And if you live in Europe, there's a lot of people who do it, do parts of it in, at a time. So they would do two weeks uh, on their, their holidays and then they go home and then the next year they start from where they finished and off they go. But from here, it is about five weeks walking. And so the equivalent, if you were to develop one for Victoria, would that be from Melbourne to where? I've taken it from Melbourne to Warrnambool because I really, I, I think one of the things we take very much for granted here is our, the spirituality of our land. I mean, the Camino itself is based on a pilgrimage, which is a religious thing for, it started out for a Catholicism, I guess, a Catholic pilgrim. It's not that anymore. Um, many people use it as that, but it's not 
anymore quite often it's just a, a, a journey people go on and it does have its own energy it has its own meaning for every single person who does it but we here don't have that sort of infrastructure but we've got a really strong spiritual aboriginal indigenous connection with the land and to me we're ignoring all of that and so this walk takes you from the Koori Heritage Centre in Melbourne to uh, Tower Hill, which is an Aboriginal community in just out of Warrnambool. And along the way, it picks up on any other current Indigenous stuff along the way. It like just the names of villages, towns are actually Aboriginal and you don't really even think about it. So it raises those issues as you go, what they used to be called and why they're called that now. And, yeah, it's just an interesting, It's an. Uh, I think you get to understand a place through walking. Yes, definitely. At the different pace of it, you just observe so much more about the environment that you're passing through and you get to smell it and hear it and all of those things, yeah. That's right, yes, yes. And if you can filter, if you can think about it as being the land, as the Aboriginals call it, country, it changes your thinking about it as you go. So uh, I just think it's a really good opportunity to get closer to the ground. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So you've got a website for it, which is still in construction, but um, I'll put a link to it on the podcast site. It is a resource. I'm not professing that it's perfect. I'm not professing anything, but it is a resource for people to use. And all it's done is in reality, because I didn't think we'd be able to do it given our distances between accommodation, because Camino, you don't carry a lot of gear you actually carry minimal and uh, the idea is to rely on your own capacity to find things not necessarily bad things or good things or anything but to get a coffee or get a food or or whatever you don't carry it all with you you don't carry a tent you don't carry all of that and so what i've developed is a walk that will take you between accommodation places it tells you where they all are and how far the distance is, what to do when you get there, and a, and a whole range of things like that. So, it, and all I'm really trying to do is just show people you can do it. That's all. And so, it's a resource, not a. It's not a tour. It's not a trip. You can do it on a bike in a, probably a, uh, about a week. The whole thing. Walking, it's about three weeks, I think, three or four weeks, something like that. It's about 450 kilometres. So it's half of the Camino. <laughs> Takes you through the Yuyangs, which is an absolutely fascinating Aboriginal area. It was fun to do too. I loved it. <laughs> Did you personally on foot explore all of this and make sure it all linked up? Not yet because I can't get down there. But I've done it as far as uh, about halfway. I went down before COVID restrictions came into place before we got to stage three. And I had planned on going again late July and going for the last section. But no, I haven't been able to do it completely. But I I think it'll work. I think it'll fairly easily work because there's enough options for people to get off. I've actually included things like, you know, if you want to make the walk a bit shorter, there's this is where you catch the bus, you know, those sorts of things. So it's a resource that you can use in a car if you want to. You know, it's it's not meant for anything more than that as a resource for people to explore. And I think even just in linking to all those Indigenous sites is a really beautiful way to bring people, yeah, as you said, to to a better understanding of what the land is and the country is that you're passing through. Yes, yes. And if you walk it, you'll feel it, I think. There'll be something that will come through to you. And uh, and that, to me, is what a pilgrimage or, a, or any other. I mean, the Aboriginals did it and they do a walkabout which is something that was, it's described actually on the website, a walkabout is a bit like a pilgrimage because it was done by teenage men in, as a rite of passage where they had to go out and, and, and walk and, and look after themselves on the land for six months, up to six months. And, and then, and at the time, they were supposed to be reflecting on history, on the elders, on the land, on all of that. So it has the same sort of spiritual type connection, which I think is important. Yes. 
So that was Sue Tompkinson. I have put the links to her Melbourne to Warrnambool trail in the episode notes of the podcast. So have a look there at saltgrass.podbean.com. She's also currently working on describing and mapping the trails around the Mount Lake Xander Shire, which will hopefully be available soon. Before we leave you today, I thought I'd let Sue have one final word about buying your own e-bike. Don't buy the first one you see is the question. I have a wonderful saying on, on one of the PowerPoints I do for the classes, and it's about when you come into a place where people have been washing their washing on a rock and you provide them with a washing machine, they will go, oh, my God, oh, my God, and won't even think about what it what brand or whatever it's just so different that you buy the first one you get and that's what happens often with an e-bike it's so different when you get on you go oh this is fantastic and yes you end up buying it but in actual fact you need to think a little bit first before you do that think about what it is you want to do with your bike and it is different everybody wants to use them differently so that would be my only my my suggestion is, yes, think about how you want to use it. I mean, I remember one girl who did the class ended up buying a bike and her reason for buying it in the first place was because she was living in a tiny house and she wanted to fold up. And I said, well, that's fine, but think about what you might do that a fold up isn't necessarily going to do for you because a fold-up doesn't have the bigger capacity for battery. It's generally got smaller wheels. It's, it's a whole range of things. And, yes, it has its reason for being, but think about it. It's Don't just buy it because it'll fit into a small space. Think about how you want to use it rather than that being your primary reason was to fit it into a space where in actual fact you'd end up with something you didn't want in the end she bought a smallish bike but not a foldable one so she and she's very happy with it salt of the earth people grassroots change salt grass Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I have been your host today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in any of the books, articles or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our emailing list to get reminders and updates about the show. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, know someone amazing we should talk to, have a recycling tip, a green product review, or have a song recommendation. Again, email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Main FM or MASG. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com.